it's Clint Wojtynowski here from Bullpen Media, and I'm in conversation with Andy Marston from Sports Pundit. Andy's one of the top thinkers in sports business, and his weekly newsletter, Sports Pundit, has fast become a central reading for those who want the most concise breakdown of what is shaping the sports industry. He poses fascinating questions each week in his newsletter, so I invited him onto the podcast to discuss some of those questions and a few sports biz trends. Let's get into it. Joining me on In Conversation With is Andy Marston from Sports Pundit. Andy, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Clint. Um, It's great to be here. Let's rip right into it. I'm going to start with your working background. Sure. How does that inform the way you view the sports industry? Sure. So, um, well, I'll start off by saying that working within research provides a really good grounding for interpreting and presenting data and insights in a way that's easy to understand. So I think that's certainly a skill that I've then tried to translate across to the newsletter in terms of you read a lot of different articles in the week, and then you try and pick out the key points that are probably going to be the most valuable to to my readers. And I'm doing the same thing within my role at work, but just instead of for the readers, it's for the sales team and it's picking out insights that are going to help them to make a link between a brand and, and a sports property. So there's definitely overlap in the two. Yeah. And it's definitely a, well, I think it's a good place to start um, within the industry because you do get quite a wide scope of work. And also it's quite a valuable skill that I think can be translated to in any role that you, that you go into in the future. Yeah. Um, and then the other part to it, I think is, you know, working with an agency like CSM that's got such global reach means you're getting exposure to so many different amazing rights holders from, you know, working with Tottenham or Chelsea to working with basically every F1 team on the paddock to working with, with properties like the um, PFL or the, or the ocean race. So it really does vary quite a lot in terms of the, the rights holders that we're doing work for. So you pose a lot of questions in your weekly newsletter. I'm going to flip it on you to get a little bit of your thoughts and even read responses on the questions you posed. So you were interviewed by John Wall Street very recently on regarding Barstool Sports launching an athlete agency. So there is that little bit of power and that convergence of the media space, the content space, the agency space. Yeah. Just tell me a little bit about what you see as the future of the media-led agency and any particular trends in regards to that convergence of media to content to tech to agency. Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, that that interview came about because of the newsletter. So I put something in my newsletter around uh, Dave Portnoy's video where he basically said that he'd started an agency on the back of getting a DM on Instagram, mm. um, which all came about because of the the changes in the regulations in the NCAA and nil. And um, yeah, basically, I was just I was just intrigued because I was thinking about it from the point of view of agencies generally speaking have to rent their audiences from third parties so they'll do opinion pieces and put them out in media outlets but they don't have necessarily complete control over that and they don't own the audience they're renting the audience from somebody else so i just think it was quite an interesting idea to have an agency that's media-led therefore if you own your audience you can basically control the narrative around it and you also have that ability to attract maybe 
athletes that don't have their own audience yet because you can promise them sort of attention from this audience that you already own. So yeah. it's kind of, um, so that's why I think it especially works well for these college athletes who probably don't yet have massive audiences. Obviously, Ronaldo doesn't need any help from an agency to build his audience. Um, he's already got he's already got a huge yeah. following, but but a yeah. volleyball player from the NCAA though may exactly get that yeah. a bit so, of a boost. Yeah, I think her name's Adelaide Halverson, um, and I ma- imagine her following now has. Prob- I mean, she's going to benefit the most because she was the first one, and that's just generally how things work. But um, I imagine her following has gone through the roof. She's probably got a lot more brand deals off the back of being associated with Barstool than she would have if she was just a volleyball player and in a college team in America. So yeah, I think that's, I think that's the main point that I was trying to make. And then I think the other interesting thing is that you're already seeing it across other industries. Yeah. And I think quite often with sport, you can do that because sport is generally a little bit slower than some other industries. So if you look outside sport, often see the trend coming before it's hit sport. So like, (laughs) for example, there's been quite a lot of acquisitions where companies have bought media companies. So You've got Robin Hood buying market snacks, yeah, um, which is essentially just a way to keep people engaged with their brand more of the time. And you've got HubSpot who have acquired The Hustle, and I think they're yes. going to acquire some other ones as well. So there's quite a few different examples of it. Another question you're posing is around the, the 100, the cricket tournament that is in the UK. Yeah. And it's interesting to me being in Australia, we have the Big Bash League and the Women's Big Bash League, they sit rather concurrently as well. For the 100 to be successful, does it hinge on having a very successful women's competition? It could be through the broadcast, yeah, participation, marketing, storytelling. Why is it very important for the women's version of the 100 to be successful? So I would I would say the women's competition is what sets the 100 apart from its predecessors, particularly in the UK market. So before this, we had the, the big, ba- um, sorry, we had the T20 Blast, which was the T20, like the sort of yeah, franchise. Vitality one or yeah. sort of Vitality or something like that. Yeah, Vitality T20 Blast, just, that's just the sponsor. And, um, mm. and then for the women's stuff, they had, the, uh, they had like the, the Kia Super League, which was completely separate, different franchises completely from the men's game. Um, and it was a good tournament, but it didn't really have that much backing from a media or commercial standpoint because it was so isolated on its own. Yeah. So I think what the hundreds done well is position them alongside each other as equals. You know, you're getting you're getting kids go and watch the women's game and the men's game. You're getting people vote for their favorite player as a you know the top six. I think someone shared uh, something around, you know, voting for the favorite players of the hundred so far. And there was like three women in the top six and three men. So the fact that they've made it so equal, I think is, I think is a great thing for, for the hundred. And I think if it also depends how you're measuring success, because if you want, if the ECB's idea of success is increased participation, then it's important that you give, you know, equal representation so that you're inspiring everyone, not just, not just people that not were well, not just boys you're inspiring girls as well to take part and then from a commercial point of view as well i think that you know it's equal representation is almost a must for any new property now and it's it's what's going to attract brands because brands want to be seen as supporting both men and women they don't want to be supporting something that's only interested in the men yeah. so i think from from a cynical point of view like i think you'd actually struggle commercially if you were 
if you were coming forward with a new property and you were only putting it forward as a male? Absolutely. Research suggests that, well, as you would have seen, I would have seen, is that really, really actually back and target women's sports. Of course, participation, yeah. eyeballs, all those kinds of things. It's that it's uh, bigger, it's better spend, better dollar spend as well. Yeah, and I think the I think the Australian market's probably ahead of almost any other market in the world for that because I went and I went and studied in Sydney a couple of years ago now, yeah. um, and it's definitely noticeable how much attention is given to female sport, which is probably why Australia do so well when it comes to female sports um, as well. But yeah, I thought the, the AFL, for example, um, yeah. they do a really good job with the with the women's league and, and the participation. Well, sorry, the attendance figures at some of those games are like really impressive and probably like the envy of, of almost any other any other country in the world when it comes to sort of getting people into women's sport. You, there's another question you've posed in one of your newsletters is regarding uh, the use case of NFTs. And I want to talk about the use case of NFTs outside of being just straight up digital collectibles. I think there's potential purpose, potential, and there's purpose outside of them by the dual physical and digital, physical and digital, and being used for ticketing purposes. Yeah, it means that you know, it means that you have exclusivity. Highlights can be bespoke to the event that you went to. Um, they're trackable. What kind of purpose do you think NFTs could have outside of being this hyped up digital collectible that, but they actually have some utility? Yeah, so I think. The key thing for NFTs is, is that you can't edit them. So they're essentially like a digital receipt. So I think that's why they work well for ticketing because you can set a contract essentially on it where you can then prevent ticket touts from selling them on at extortionate prices or you can more interestingly maybe take a cut where if it does get sold on at an extortionate price, you take 10, 15, 20% of the, of the value of the ticket. So say you were selling tickets to the euros for example mm-hmm. and they all sell for they have a ballot system in place and they all sell for 80 pounds and then england make the semi-final or the final of the euros and they're going on re on resale for 2000 but uefa and the fa aren't getting any of that money right? that's all just going to the ticket tout or the guy who's bought the ticket and then sold it on so with nfts you could put in place a contract where 25-30% of the value of the ticket goes to UEFA. So they're able to control a lot more of the money coming and it comes back to them, which is the more important thing. Um, And then outside of tickets, I think you're starting to see sort of the digital collectibles merge with with physical properties too. So absolutely. There's very few where it's just a digital thing now. Like it will be, you know, you buy an NFT, but you also get to go play tennis with Andy Murray. Mm-hmm. That was one that got done recently. Yeah. And then there's other ones, there's other ones where you know you you can redeem like a phone call with Gronk, or you can yeah. or you can get like a say you get a signed jersey, right? And then you get a digital collectible that essentially authenticates the signed jersey. So it could have quite a big implication on memorabilia too, because you can prove that it's real and you can't forge that NFT. So staying with the digitization of fandom of ownership. What about tokenization? What is the what's the bull case for it? We only talk negatively about tokenization of fandom of of ownership. What do you think is the bull case? It's something that's getting a lot more 
a lot more attention now because socios have obviously just done two front of shirt partnerships this summer. So mm. they've just done a deal with Inter Milan and a deal with Valencia. And I don't know if you're not aware of socios, essentially they are aligned with Chili's, which is a, which is a crypto brand that they then build token or they create tokens for the teams they partner with. So you'd have the Valencia token or the Inter Milan token. Yeah. Fans can buy those tokens and in exchange, they get some kind of power over decisions at the club. So at the moment, those decisions are very minimal. So an example would be, you know, choosing the color of the team bus on mm. the way to the first, like, friendly, <laughs> when it's mostly academy kids, or it would be, you know, like, what, or it would be like, what message should be written on the captain's armband? Like, they're all very small things. It's very yeah, rudimentary, yeah, but, hmm. but... But I think as it develops, I think there will be sort of an escalation of the, of the things you're able to vote about yep. and vote on. And I think that's when it could become quite interesting from, a, from the perspective of, of like fan ownership and, you know, you decentralize the ownership of the team um, and then you're getting decisions made by all of the fans. And that may well get escalated as well, because with the Super League, you saw sort of much greater demand for fan representation on boards. And yeah. a lot of the, quite a lot of the, of the six English teams, at least, that, that caved and, and came back uh, mm-hmm. now, have, now have fan representation on their boards. And there's a desire to sort of move towards that Germany model, which is the 50 plus one. So like the fans own the club. So it would be interesting to see if that could happen where, you know, the fans own the club, but they own tokens. And then, you know, you, you essentially have almost shareholders that and the, the ones with the, with the most shares almost have voting rights over how the clubs run. It's almost, it's something that could probably work at, I always think, could it work at the, never at the highest tiers club, high, highest tier clubs, but if you're going to the middle of the pyramid downwards, it's about encouraging, getting your fans to be more than just members of the club, as in being more active participants and decision makers as well. Yeah. It's probably, it might be the utility might sit around there as well. Yeah, I think if you see it, when it first comes through, it will probably come through at that level because it would be very difficult to do at the top level because there's so much money involved. Mm. You know, like for, for fans to buy out Man United, it's, like, it's not going to happen, right? They don't have the money to do that. So, But you do see it a little bit in lower leagues, especially when clubs are going into, into administration. Yeah, Clubs get bought out by their fans. So I'm from Portsmouth and Port, that happened to Portsmouth maybe <sighs> six, seven years ago. Maybe longer yeah. now, actually. Um, but it's more, it's probably going to happen to other clubs in the future as well. I mean, and I think that's when there could potentially be, well, that could potentially be a way that you could look to, to raise funds and keep the fans involved. You, you cited Wolves, AC Milan, Schalke, but that was before they sold the gaming interests, getting involved in areas well outside of football. Yeah. Is it now incumbent on football clubs to diversify their interests highlight their brand outside, very much well outside of football. And it doesn't have to be just, oh, I'm going to just have a, an esports team playing FIFA. We're talking like well outside of, uh, of a football interest. Should they be doing it? Is it in their interest to do it? So I think it comes down to when, it, when you say should they do it, I mean, it, depend, it depends what they, what they want to be, right? So if they want to be able to compete with the top clubs in, in Europe, then it's probably one avenue they have to explore because they need to find alternative revenue streams because they're not going to catch up in any other way unless unless a rich state-funded shake decides to buy the club. <clears throat> they're going to have to find ways to generate revenue that are away from the, away from the norm. So yeah. 
they have to almost see themselves as media companies competing for the attention of fans. And to do that, so the example was Schalke, right? Like they decided to go way away from, from FIFA and, and do League of Legends, right? So that's a completely different demographic. That's a completely different audience that wouldn't otherwise be aware of Schalke. And they say you're in the UK and you play League of Legends and you come across Schalke. Maybe you then come across them in football afterwards and you think of them as an esports team first and foremost, right? And then you go and watch Schalke in the Bundesliga because you have an affinity to them through League of Legends that you wouldn't otherwise have. Because if you're living in the UK, I don't know how else you're going to get an affinity to Schalke, right? Like you're yeah. going to pick an English team. There's there's 92 clubs in the English Football League, right? They're not going to they're not going to have won you over in any other way, really. Yeah, that's the same in all these other markets, right? So Wolves, I think, have a really big interest in in China, and obviously a lot of clubs do, but I think they have Chinese ownerships. So they're focused quite a lot yeah. on, I think they did some fashion stuff in China. Um, and then they've also got interest in motorsport. So they're just, it's all about trying to get attention and then and then bring it back to the to the core product, which is the football team. Leading off from that then, to get your own future thinking cap on, what are you bullish on? What do you look at uh, some of the things you're bullish on in sports business, sports media uh, going forward? Um, I think one thing that, that stands out to me is content creation because it's something that keeps coming up in whenever you see a challenger league that's succeeding or whenever you see a league that's that's currently thriving it usually comes back to them having a strong media house or strong content creation yeah. uh, because they're building narrative around their athletes which i think is just so important um if you're going to be able to attract new fans so formula one is obviously the cliche answer when you when you think about content creation You've got Netflix Drive to Survive. You've got yeah. everyone's watched it now. And it really does help in terms of in terms of your affinity towards the drivers, particularly the ones in the middle of the pack yeah. that wouldn't have that stardom otherwise. So when Ocon wins at the weekend, right, you've watched a series yeah. where there's an episode completely on him. You know about his his struggles to get funding. You know about um, so much more about him than you would otherwise know. And it probably makes it that little bit more exciting when he's leading the race yes. because you have that personal connection. From an individual point of view, you know, you've got you've got athletes in in combat sports like MMA who are doing like YouTube channels and they're generate they're generating all of this attention. And interestingly, like I watched a, doc, a documentary or interview with Anthony Joshua recently. Yeah. And he and he highlights content creation as being really important because as an as a fighter, you don't have the heritage to lean back on if as you would if you were playing football for Man United. You can't lean back and rely on the heritage of Man United, right? You're Anthony Joshua, yeah. and you need everyone to understand your story and your your values as quickly as possible. And a good way to do that is through content creation. And just lastly, well, I've got you. Your weekly newsletter is just over a year old, so well done on that. Getting to that, getting to that milestone. How have you evolved as a critical thinker in the sporting space? This is the final. This is the final. I ask this question because you've already been critically thinking about things I've thrown at you through the whole interview. Now, what have you learned about evolving and developing as a critical thinker? I think in terms of that the evolution that happens, I think you do probably, you learn to pick out the things that, that matter most from a story quicker than I would have at the start. And often things now fit into trends that I've already come across. Mm-hmm. So when you first start, you're like, oh, this is a new trend or this is a new trend. Now it's like, there's these clear overarching trends that are happening. Yeah. And generally speaking, all the news fits into one of them. 
So, you know, you're starting to sort of develop greater depth within these trends, um, which is, which is really interesting. And when I'm, when I'm deciding what, what story I want to write about, I, I try to keep it really focused and ask how this would maximize the commercial revenue for a rights holder or for a brand. So if I can focus it and frame it in that way, and that way I think I can offer the most value through the newsletter. So there's already so many different sports media outlets out there. So I try and keep things concise and I try and frame it in a way where I'm focusing on that specific question of how, how is this going to maximize commercial revenues for for the reader? Because the readers, generally speaking, are working for an agency representing a rights holder, or they're working for a rights holder, or they're working with a rights holder. So generally speaking, it all comes back to that. A big thank you to Andy for joining me to discuss some sports biz news and trends on the pod. His newsletter again, Sports Pundit. I'll have links for you to check it out and subscribe in the show notes. All of Bullpen's social media links will also be in the show notes. On Bullpen socials, I drop videos and vignettes on companies and startups you should know more about. I also have begun doing deep dives into areas of interest in the sports, media, and investment spaces. Do check it. Thank you for listening in. Be good and bye for now.